Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way, so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana from Play, Learn, Thrive here. I have Sarah today uh, from Parenting with Stories, and she's a psychologist. We're going to talk about the importance of play. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi there, Alana. Thanks for having me today. Um, my name's Sarah Mundy. I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, so I my day job is, is working with children and families. I've done that for quite a number of years now, about 20 years, um, mainly working with children who have attachment difficulties or have experienced early trauma and helping them and their parents um, become more secure in their relationships and, and make sense of their, their early experiences. And I suppose outside of my day job, what I've done is written a series of interactive children's books. So they're called Bartley's Books and part of a wider project, Parenting Through Stories. And these are for two to four year olds. And they draw on some of the ideas I use in my practice to help parents and children connect more and also work together through some of those early challenges that we all have as um, parents and uh, toddlers. So things like separation, anxiety, tricky behaviours healthy eating, bedtime routines, potty training, all those things we don't quite know how to manage when they when they come to us. So th- these are ways to help them make sense of them. Um, so yeah, so two hats, a clinical psychologist in the day and uh, um, a, a sort of children's author in the night. And, and alongside that, I suppose I have three children of my own. So yeah, quite busy. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. So um, like, I, I guess the biggest thing that I want to talk about is just from your pers- from your professional perspective. So yeah. obviously, totally open to hearing your parent perspective as well. But yeah. just from the professional perspective, um, you know, sort of how the imp- how does play right when kids mm-hmm. are little from birth and up impact their their psychological development? I mean, I know, obviously, from what I've read, it's super important clearly um that's kind of what i'm doing what i'm doing Um, but just from more of like a clinical perspective if you know whatever you can share with the community about how it actually you know impacts brain and the development and psychology and all that that'd be great sure well i mean it is it's a core part of a child's development for me there's the attachment relationship which is one of the key aspects for children developing and the other thing is play Um, And children need to feel safe to play. But when they can play, they develop much more quickly, emotionally, behaviourally, physically. I mean, there's so much evidence for that. Um, Interestingly, I was reading the other day that that it's actually recognised by, I don't know if you know this, but the UN Convention on Child's Rights. So so the right to engage in recreational activities and play is actually a right for children. Um, Yes. I, I, I've read that and yeah. I actually, one of the first articles that I wrote mm-hmm. um, about the importance of play, I note that right in the opening that it's, um, that the UN um, recognizes it as a right, which is amazing. I mean, if you think about it, but yeah. And, and, and I suppose one of the reasons that I wanted to write these interactive children's books is because I think sometimes in the early years play can be missing because things are so tricky and you just want your children to do <laughs> what they're told and you just want them to learn these new skills. But actually what sometimes we don't realise is that you learn skills through play. 
you know, it's actually an exercise. It's, it's an exercise for the brain. It develops the brain. It helps us learn. It helps us understand expectations. It helps us make sense of our lives. Um, but I think sometimes, particularly now, we, we just sort of expect children to, to know or to understand when we tell them what to do rather than actually to learn themselves through play. So so for me, it's hugely important for, for children's development. And um, I mean, that's recently been recognised by our British Psychological Society, who've written a, a strategy paper for supporting under fives, just says that, you know, play needs to be part of every single intervention because it is that key to, to helping children learn. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, and, and also it's very enjoyable and it, and it diffuses stresses. So it's, it's got benefits for the parents as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, <clears throat> I don't know about how it's like over in the UK, but here I feel like part of our biggest issue as a society in the US, um, well, we have many issues, but um, (laughs) (laughs) one of the ones that I feel like is really um, sort of become just a huge weight Mm. is that we, parents feel so obligated to constantly be scheduling different activities. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's like they go to school, in school, at least here, they barely have a chance to play. They have, you know, half hour recess or whatever. Um, and then they come home and, you know, it's like they have violin and they have, mm-hmm. um, you know, karate and ballet and mm-hmm. science club and this. And then by the time, you know, then it's dinner and it's bath and it's bed. Um, and on the weekends, they have, you know, different, very, very adult led yeah. um, activities, you know, organized sports and things like that. And so, I guess I feel like I'm curious to see, A, is it like different over by you guys, um, sort of as how you approach it? Or? It will be really interesting to see what happens after the pandemic, because the pandemic has made parents more pressure, more pressured, but they haven't been pressurising their children to do as much. So it's really interesting how that's then translated into how children manage the world and whether children have had more of that free time. But I think very similarly, there there is a massive problem with hurried and pressured parenting, and that really limits what children can gain from their child-led pay, play. You know, you know, there's so much evidence that, that free time is reduced, um, not for all children, but for some children. And, and it's completely understandable because, you know, we're told that our children need to excel and that they have to have things to do. And we're letting them down if we don't offer them all of these different chances. So then we overschedule and then don't recognise the need, you know, children's need to have their own pace and have their own time just to have downtime or their own time to be together. Um, so I think it's absolutely the same, very similar as in the US in, in, in certain areas, you know, everything's different and there are different, uh, you know, communities that do things differently in the UK. But but I think it's it's definitely been a problem over the years. And, and for some time, the sort of term tiger mother was sort of banded around quite positively. I think it's shifted now and people are realising that actually you can't be authoritarian, you can't tell children what to do. And, um, you know, that that's not going to be very helpful. I mean, you can work with them to try and help them learn but but the whole sort of helicopter parenting and and tiger mothering is is I think it's now recognized that it can limit children's natural need to play and to play you know to lead their own play so they can work out the world's you know with a bit of scaffolding from parents but but to work out that their own worlds and to have that time to um sort of make sense of things and enjoy things and just feel safe and just relax rather than this need to achieve um, which is put on them at a very early age. And yeah. you, know, you wonder what the impact of that is really longer term. Yeah. I mean, 
<clears throat> part of what I see as a teacher of older students is yeah. that impact. And that's kind of what drove me to do this. Um, you know, just really kids who just can't handle any kind of failure. Mm. They don't want to take risk. They, mm. um, you know, they just struggle with um, sort of all these more soft skills. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things I, I've heard and I've, I believe myself about this whole concept of helicopter parenting. And I know that there, you know, we go through these waves. Like I feel like society in general of, you know, types of parenting and what's on trend and yeah, what do we think is the best based on the knowledge that we have at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, people do what they think, obviously, I'm sure, you know, every parent wants to do what's best for their kids. So yeah. you have these people who are, you know, quote unquote, helicoptering and parenting in that kind of style. Mm-hmm. Do you, I'm just, this is just popped into my head. Do you have any like tips or advice for people who maybe are like that, but yeah. who are coming to recognize that it's not necessarily the best approach and um, wanting to sort of alter their parenting style a little bit. Like, I feel like that would be interesting to hear from you what you would suggest to parents who are kind of like recovering helicopter parents. <laughs> recovering, I love that term. <laughs> yeah, so so I think the first thing is, as you said, we are all doing our best. We're doing what we think is best we're doing what's been taught is best and we're often following sort of unconscious templates from our own childhood so the first thing is not to berate yourself if you think you've done things wrong if you don't think you've quite got it right because as parents we make mistakes all the time and that's fine (laughs) that's absolutely fine it's completely natural none of us are perfect none of us are robots so the first thing is to go okay maybe I need to shift maybe this isn't the most helpful way for my children and your children might be showing that in some ways but the next thing to do is to reflect and think yourself why am I doing this what's this about what what is my need to push my children so much um are they enjoying it am I enjoying it is it healthy for us as a family where did this come from you know what did my parents teach me about the need to achieve or the need to uh you know learn something rather than just sit down and relax you know and 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 how helpful has that been so so first it's about being kind to yourself and reflecting on where it's coming from and then thinking okay what 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 do I need to do about this what 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 would I like it to look like what would I like what would my child like it to look like it depends on how old the child is but you can always talk to them about it um that there's something for parents I've worked with a lot of parents who say but I don't actually know how to play um how can I help my child play? How can I play with my child when I was never played with? And for some parents, it's quite scary. Um, so I suppose, again, it's that being kind to yourself and, and knowing that we've all, we're naturally very playful, curious animals and play can bring a lot of joy. But if you've got this negative association with it, it's harder just to sit down and play and just be and just do things for the sake of it rather than to achieve. Um, because I suppose play is about it's it, the means are more valued than the outcome aren't they it's about doing something it's not just about what you achieve um so it, it's having a think about when you've been able to play before what's that been like have you enjoyed it if you haven't what that's what's that about um and and how can you just sort of jiggle that schedule a bit with your child to, to have a bit more downtime to have a bit more free time where actually it might start happening a bit more more regularly and I suppose instead of sitting down and saying, right, now we've got to play, which just only puts pressure on yourself, it could be about being outside more because outside is a, a really nice way for 
place for children to play and I think adults can feel much more relaxed outside as well so it's, it's partly about adults feeling relaxed um, in, in their own sort of environment as well. Sorry I went on a bit there but I, I hope that makes sense. I hope you know what I mean. Yeah I love that. I um, It's funny <laughs> that you talk about kids playing with their parents. We are so um, again, I feel like so much pressure put on parents that they have to be so involved all the time with everything their kid is doing. And to me, and I don't know, maybe this is wrong. I would love your thoughts on this, but we, my family, so my husband and I, we have three kids, obviously at this point, about to be four. Um, and we really let them do their thing. I mean, we do play with them in a sense. We, we read books, we do puzzles, we will sit and, you know, do art with them or, um, if they're building something and they kind of want us to hop in and, and participate, we will, of course. Um, you know, we play chase with them and things like that, but we don't necessarily sit on the floor and play with them from, you know, morning until night. Um, and I find a lot of parents who are feeling like they have to be doing that all the time. And I feel like that's not necessarily the best approach either. So I would love your thoughts on that. Yeah, so so I suppose um, that's not to say you need to get down on the floor and play with your children all the time, because firstly, that's not possible. And secondly, that's not what they need. Um, I suppose what children need is to feel safe to then go and explore and play so just being there with them every now and then just connecting with them every now and then is really helpful but not going in and taking over because I suppose child-led play is about um children learning for themselves children making things up for themselves um, and it allows the adult to see the world from their mind rather than the adult interjecting all the time the parents saying um, oh let's do this now or let's do this now so yeah I think you're absolutely right um, it's not about because I think we have a risk if we're helicopter parents we then say okay now the task is to play um, so now I've got to switch from violin lessons to sitting down and spending that hour playing with my child and I don't think that is what um what the aim would be for child-led play or for, for giving your child that space it's to give them some time to play and to be there and to be interested in them and to watch them but not necessarily sit down and play with absolutely everything they do um because it's about giving them the chance to express their views and experiences um and frustrations uh, you know practice their own decision making skills move at their own pace and if we're sort of hovering trying to intervene in that play too much then that that's not really going to happen um but i do also think there is a, a place for parents to sit down and play with their children um and it's how you can do that and you can do that in different ways you know some of that can be child-led some of that can you be just you following what the child's bringing but you can also sometimes join in and bring your own ideas and help them learn different different things so there are different types of plays and diff different ways to play um, but yeah I completely agree with you that it's um, not just about sitting down and, and playing with. Awesome so one of the other things I would love to get your thoughts on and you know hopefully you have thoughts on this because <laughs> I might do hopefully. <laughs> So one of the one of the big things I think again going back to this like idea of helicopter parenting mm. and kind of like who you know who are these moms or mm. um, dads or you know grand even grandparents you know whoever um, who kind of have these ideas of parenting that are that are aligned with this helicoptering idea. So we we have those people who are kind of recovering from that. And how how would you advise them about? getting comfortable with 
for example, more risky plays. So one of the biggest things that, again, I find is so many parents are terrified of their kid getting like bumps and bruises and, you know, to the point where, you know, you see parents following their kids up into the playscape at the playground and they're, you know, they won't let their kid go down the slide or their child is climbing on something and they're like, oh my God, get down. You're going to get hurt. And they're freaking out. Um, And I feel like that has real limitations for kids because they really need that opportunity to take those risks and kind of learn how to manage even the psychological aspect. Like part of what I notice is, or what I try to explain, and I'm sure you can do this in a better way, you know, when you're, for example, if you're climbing to the top of a rock and and you're kind of getting a little bit too high for your comfort, Mm -hmm. you have that psychological response where you're like, okay, am I safe? Like, how am I going to get down? And you're kind of thinking it through. Mm -hmm. And that's an important skill in my mind. And it kind of like if you can't figure out how to go through that psychological process when you're a child, then mm-hmm. what's going to happen when you're older yeah. and you're in a situation that's much more risky, you know, college or, you know, you're driving or um, just in general as an adult, obviously, right? Bigger kids, bigger problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and if you haven't had that, like, that feeling in the back of your neck, like, okay, what am I going to do and how am I going to overcome this mm-hmm. and actually gotten yourself through a bunch of these sort of more, minor risky situations, my feeling is, is that that's going to inhibit you so much when you're older. Yeah. Well, and then you could either learn to be very risk averse and, mm-hmm. or you could learn to be very risk taking and actually quite dangerous because you can't really work out the boundaries. I mean, I, I think what we need to think about is that risky play, if it's managed safely, is useful, isn't it? Because play is about learning to make your own decisions, uh, validate your own choice, give you confidence in in having the ability to make those decisions. Um, so yes, absolutely. If we stop children from doing anything because we deem it slightly risky, we're, we're, we're setting them up to fail in lots of ways because life is full of risks and we have to learn how to manage them and judge them, absolutely. Um, but I suppose... Um, as a parent, we want to make sure our child's safe. And I certainly was very anxious with my first two little ones, and I probably was completely risk averse, and I don't think that was very helpful for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's also something really interesting that I, that I read about girls and boys, and actually um, there was some research that looked at a girl climbing, I think it was toddlers, I'm not sure exactly, it was a while back I read it, but um, a, a climbing a slope, and parents intervened more quickly when a girl got to a level than when to a boy got to a level. So there's some interesting. Sort of gender bias in terms of how much risk we will let our children take um, but I suppose for parents it's about thinking about how helpful the message we're giving them is um, being in check with our own emotions around what's going on why are we so anxious that they might fall off okay we don't want them to break their legs but we also need to give them the ability to learn new things so you'd need to build up slowly you wouldn't just suddenly say okay climb to the top of that tower but actually it's about <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I parent my kids are like feral they're outside like rock climbing and I'm inside sipping a glass of wine I'm like oh all right you're good. Like, call me if you need me <laughs> but that's it isn't it it's so much your individual um experiences as a child yourself but also how you then translate them into practice as a parent and I suppose the first thing we can always do is reflect what that's about I think for me that's key in any parenting is that we need to think about why we're doing something and the message we're giving a child and how helpful that is and because we do it is the time that we can help children know 
what boundaries are safe and what boundaries aren't safe. But if we are overreacting or not letting them test them on their own, then actually um, they won't learn that. They won't have the confidence to test those skills in a, in a healthy way when they're older. Um, but I suppose if we're there when, we're, when they're little and we're letting them do that, but we're their safe base. I mean, what we know about children is that if they feel safe with their parents, they're more likely to go and explore. So if we can be that sort of safe containing base where they can come back to us if they're struggling or they're feeling stressed and we can reassure them and let them know what is and you know how far we want them to go then that's that's fab but we need to make sure that how far we want them to go is a good message rather than not a very helpful message does that make sense yeah no it does um it does and i just started thinking about something like we're you're talking about um children who kind of grow up if if they're growing up in really risk adverse mm-hmm. um homes where they're not allowed to take, you know, or not encouraged to take these risks mm. or fail, you know, I'm thinking even like academically, mm. you know, it's like, God forbid, you know, your child doesn't do a project and you're running, you you know, you're running to the the store at 10 o'clock at night, the night before it's due because you're getting them poster board when they mm-hmm. had three weeks to do the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a teacher, that's always to me, like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's kind of, again, like you're, you're not giving them the opportunity to kind of have that natural consequence, which mm-hmm. I know the instinct, obviously as a parent, you want, you know, you would never want to purposely make a situation where your child would fail, Mm. but at the same time, whether academically or otherwise, but at the same time, um, like what you were saying, when kids don't have those opportunities to take the risk or to kind of make the mistake and have the natural consequence, um, Mm. then I feel like you were saying that they could become more risky, like they could be taking more risks when they're older. And it just got me thinking about, and again, I don't know if this is something that's just specific to the US, but Mm -hmm. later in life, like we have so much, we have such a huge issue here with like teenage and young adult um, drinking and partying and drunk, you know, drunk driving and just sort of all these things, which I know, is a lot of it is just like the teenage brain is basically just mush and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they can't make any kind of decision. And I know that's totally like, um, neural or, uh, like neuroscience based, yeah, but yeah. I'm also wondering like if there's been any research or if people have thoughts like who are actually in the space about how a child upbringing, a children's upbringing mm-hmm. specifically as it relates to taking risks and mm-hmm. being allowed to fail and kind of developing more of that growth mindset, mm-hmm. if that has any impact on how risky those children are when they're older. Like I would be curious mm-hmm. if there's been research or if, if people in that space have kind of have had conversations around that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure specific, I'm, not, I'm sure there is, but nothing that jumps to mind in terms of specific research around risky behaviours, but certainly in terms of different types of parenting, you know, if you're very permissive and you just let them do absolutely everything they want, <laughs> so I'm not, not, not naming any names here, or <laughs> but there is an element of parenting that does need that bit of scaffolding, that bit of support, that bit of containment, because, you know, they, they aren't, their brains aren't well enough developed really to, to know what is and isn't safe at all times. You know, think about toddlers, you have to put in boundaries at certain times. Um, so if you're too permissive and just let, let them get on, then they're, they're not going to have a very healthy 
healthy concept of risk. Uh, but at the other end, which I think is more of what you're talking about, it is if you're much more authoritarian and you're just saying that this is what you do, full stop, you're not climbing that, you're not trying that, that's not going to be very helpful either. They're not feeling noticed, they're not feeling validated, they're not feeling confident to make their own decisions and they're not being given the chance to make their own decisions. But the sort of the bit in the, the middle, the parenting in the middle that's got the most evidence for being the most, um, ha- had the best outcomes for children is the authorita- authoritative parenting where you actually, it's about working together. You, you let them try things out, but you're there to support them when it doesn't work. So, so I suppose for me, I think either permissive or authoritarian parenting is much more likely to lead to the unhealthy risk-taking behaviours and the authoritative. Um, and I'm guessing there'd be some research to that up, but um, I can't. Yeah. I don't know hand, I'm afraid. <clears throat> no, that's... Um... That's really that's really interesting. I've always just been curious about that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any last tips or tricks or just kind of pieces of advice that you would give to parents who are sort of maybe new to this idea mm-hmm. of um, new to the idea of like child-led play or mm-hmm. or any of this stuff that we've been talking about? People who kind of um, are coming from a place of wanting to learn more and then now they're like, okay, so how do I actually start to change some of the ways that I've, yeah. you know, made in the past? Like I want to, I want to take myself from reacting and kind of be parenting in this way. And I want to try to become a little bit more, more, um, more of this, more, you know, more, what was the, I, I always forget the authoritarian, no, no authoritarian's bad, right? Authoritative. 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 <laughs> I know, it's an annoying language. Okay. So, yeah, we're like, that's what we want to be. Yeah. Um, so I guess what would be some, some piece of advice for parents who kind of want to get on to, on that, yeah. on that train? Yeah. Okay. So I suppose the first thing is to think, okay, do I really actually believe that there are um, significant benefits of play? Because actually, unless you really believe it or you're motivated to change it, then you won't be focusing on that. You can sort of pay lip service to it. But unless you go, actually, it is beneficial for them to do nothing other than have a pile of saucepans and bang them together. You know, it is beneficial to leave three cardboard boxes in the in the room. It's not a waste of their time. So the first thing is to think, is it really beneficial? And all the evidence says, yes, it is cognitively, socially, physically, in terms of uh, health, in terms of creativity, um, in terms of perspective taking, abstract thought, empathy. You know, there are so many benefits of, of, of play and it's a natural experience for children. And I suppose if we're not facilitating that, then in some ways we're doing them a disservice. So the first thing is to actually believe how important it is um, and realise that it doesn't have to be and probably shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, sort of those passive toys. It's actually more about true toys, you know, the the things that you talk about all the time, the blocks and the dolls so they can use their imagination or just going outside because outside imaginary play is fantastic. In fact, I think it it encourages the brain to mature faster than indoors play because being outside has so many, um, so many benefits. So, yeah, so the first thing is believing it's, Um, important. The second thing is thinking about uh, whether at the moment your family life gives a space for that play um, Mm -hmm. and what sort of play that is because you know things like passive entertainment through computers doesn't have the same benefits of of that active creative play so it's finding that um, 
space to put in that active creative play without feeling like it's a massive pressure, without feeling like it's going to have to change your whole world around and just starting small and just seeing seeing the benefits and noticing how much your child enjoys it and engages in it. Um, because, you know, play is, is a child's work. That's what, what Marie Montessori talks about, actually. Yeah. It's, it's a child's work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Awesome. So acceptance is the first. Yeah. yeah no, I love that. That's great advice. I've never, you know, I, it's, I've never, that's not really something that I've thought about only because mm. it's always something that I've believed. So I've never had to come to accept mm. it, but mm. it's interesting that to think about that, like to take, take a step back because you're right. Not everybody necessarily even understands or believes or knows that that is so important. Mm. And mm. so for parents who maybe don't know that, um, for them to, that acceptance of, wow, this is actually really important and here's what I'm going to do moving forward is, is, is a huge deal. And, 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 and for parents, you know, what we know about parenting is a lot of it is unconscious and based on our own experiences. So if we're trying to change any parenting behavior, we do need to reflect on our own experiences and what's, what's, what what we were taught about play and how much that was facilitated and encouraged and if it wasn't it's going to be a bit harder to put into place because it's not something that you're you're used to it's not something that that comes as naturally to you <coughs> excuse me um, okay. but it's something that's really important so um so yeah and and I think what uh parents really find enjoyable is actually when they start to play they realize quite how fun it is for them and for their children and and you know it, and it's not just about play it's also about playfulness and being light-hearted and, and having humor rather than having a lot of pressure in the family and I think at the moment that that couldn't be more important when there is so much pressure around so trying to step back slow down introduce playfulness and play is is going to be helpful for, for everybody particularly now I love that um so do you want to tell everybody where they can find you uh your website social media and all that yeah absolutely so um it's parenting through stories so www.parenting through stories um, we're also on instagram so at parenting underscore through underscore stories and facebook which is just at parenting through stories so do check us out. There's lots of um, posts about lots of different things, focused a lot on the early years, um, uh, supporting parents, self-care, but also thinking about attachment, thinking about emotional behavioural development. And also um, I've written a, a brief parenting handbook, which focuses on attachment and the early years um, and these um, interactive stories, which are about a little bear called Bartley. Um, and they're interactive because they're lift the flaps so they ask both about the character's experience but also about the child so they're a way for parents really to to get to know what's going on for their child which I think sometimes we forget to do when they're little awesome I love that so um that's amazing thank you so much I'm going to put thank all that you. in the show notes for all the listeners so if um, you guys are are looking at the show notes you'll be able to I'll link to all of that and um and link to your Instagram and everything. So lovely. that's awesome. Thank you so much. It was Thank great you. having you. It was lovely to speak to you. And um, yeah, have a have a lovely rest of day and uh, hopefully relaxing weekend. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Thanks. Hey friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play Learn Thrive Kids. 